Well, good morning, Trinity Church. It's good to see you this morning. Summer is in full force, isn't it? It's hot outside. I hope you're enjoying the heat. I am. It's a wonderful uh, to be in summertime, truly. And it's good to see you this morning. This morning, we come to the conclusion of the book of Acts. Uh, we are going to finish our series this morning in Acts chapter 28, verse 17 and following. That's where we'll be here in a moment for our scripture reading. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 17. The conclusion of the book of Acts. Are you interested to know that we started the book of Acts on September 11th of last year, 2022? And we have this sermon this morning will be 34 sermons. 34 sermons of the book of Acts. 28 chapters in 34 sermons. Maybe you're like, I wish we would have taken more time. You could take the book of Acts and spend a lot more time in the book of Acts. We could have broken down the passages uh, more. And in fact, I was looking up a couple of people. Uh, the average for the book of Acts, for, from some of the more well-known preachers that, that you may be accustomed to, is about 60 sermons. So we did Acts at about 34. And you say, Why? Why did you take the book of Acts in 28 chapters and do it in 34 sermons? And, and that was purposeful. It really was purposeful. Some of you are like, I wish we'd have broken it down and taken it, maybe gone deeper into the text, you know. I, I don't really know what that means most of the time. But, uh, but, but some of you are like, well, I felt like we were in it forever. We were in the book of Acts forever. That's not that funny, Laura. Laura's, Laura's laughing. She's like, yeah, that was me. We could have done it in 15 maybe. I was just playing with you. But sometimes when we break down passages, and, and, and I, I want you to know this. I want you to know this. The, the, the Bible is amazing. We could have broken the book of Acts in 28 chapters down, and we, we could have gone for 120 sermons, and you would have been well fed. We could have done that. We could have done it in three or four sermons and, and hit it comprehensively. Three or four sermons. We could have. This is the amazing thing about the Bible. It's endless. You, you, can, you can wade in it. right? You've heard this before. You can wade in it as if you were a little child. right? Play in it. Wade in it. It would be just fitting for you on that level. Or you can dive deep down and you'll never find the bottom of it. The reason I approached it the way we did is because I wanted you to see the overall themes of the book. Sometimes when we get into the little sections and we break it down too much, you can actually get lost in it and, and lose the big picture. Every book of the Bible has a big picture. This is something that as a Christian you need to grow in. I'm giving you a challenge here. As a Christian, you need to grow in not just mining passages for all they're worth, but also seeing the big picture of each book that you're in. Would you be able to outline a book of the Bible? This is a great, this is a great thing for you to do as a Christian. Outline the books of the Bible that you read. Because there is a general outline and a structure that every book has. And that's really what I wanted you to see. We're reaching the conclusion of the book of Acts. And like a well-written piece of literature... The author, Luke, is going to tie up the themes, the major themes 
of the book of Acts, and you're going to see those. You're going to go, oh yeah, this is what we've seen all the way throughout the book of Acts. So let's look at it, Acts chapter 28, verse 17, all the way down through the end, verse 31. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Acts chapter 28, verse 17. Follow along as I read. After three days, he, that is the Apostle Paul, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against." When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I don't know if you've had the experience of reading a book that, when finished, you mourn. Have you ever had that experience? You mourn the finishing of a book? I've had that experience only a couple times in in my life where when I finish, it was so perfectly done, it was so well done, that you just want to live in it. You, You can't pick up another book for a while. Because you're mourning the loss of the book you just finished. Maybe you have that experience with a piece of music that you hear. And when it's done, you just want to live in, bask in the glory of that piece of music. 
I hope you have those types of experiences. Maybe it's with uh, nature that you have those experiences where you're out and you see it so perfect and so complete that you just want to live in its perfection and its glory for as long as you can. Nothing, nothing is spoiled like a good book that ends poorly. Maybe you've had that experience. Or a a good meal. Have you ever had a wonderful meal and then for some reason, you know, you had that wonderful meal and, and you save that one piece to the last and you're expecting it to just be this perfect and it's it doesn't taste just right and it leaves you wanting more it leaves you disappointed maybe you've had that experience well the book of acts ends i think perfectly and really doesn't matter what i think it ends perfectly god has inspired it in this way it ends perfectly just as it should. And we learn a lot from this ending. We learn a lot from how it ends. I want to give you three points this morning about this ending. And I think in these three points, we find a perfect summary of the entire book of Acts. Isn't it amazing how that works? The, the first The first point I want to leave you with here in the book of Acts is this. And I I think this has been a theme all the way throughout. Here's the first point. God's people are those who have responded rightly to the proclamation of God's word. God's people are those who have responded rightly to the proclamation of God's word. God cares deeply in scripture of defining and marking off who his people are. God cares deeply about marking off his people. This, his people, is where his glory lives. It is important for God to mark off his people because his glory dwells in their midst. That's why it's important that the world knows who his people are. Okay? For for anybody that says, well, I don't know where membership is found in the Bible. Right, the word membership is not found there, but God cares deeply about marking off who his people are because that's where his glory dwells. In the Old Testament, his glory was in a temple that was placed in the middle of a people named Israel. That's where his glory dwelt. The people of Israel had been given promises by God through their fathers. They had been given promises from God of what God would do for them, how God would bless them, how they had obtained God's favor, and therefore how they were to live in light of the favor they had been given. And they were told that they would be a kingdom of priests to the entire world, that God would use them to reach the world and bless the world, bring his blessing to the world. 
This is the Old Testament. But what we've discovered in the book of Acts, and and you cannot help but see it, the book of Acts is about unfolding this reality that God's people are no longer defined by circumcision. God's people are no longer defined by a physical temple. God's people are no longer defined by the law of Moses. God's people are no longer defined by bloodlines, by Jewish bloodlines. God's people are not defined that way. God's people instead are defined by the right response to the proclamation of God's word. The word regarding the Christ, Jesus. God's people are marked by the right response to God's word. And this is proven here in this passage in a very sad scene. As is his custom, Paul, when he goes into a city, always went to what place? The synagogue. He always went to the synagogue. Did you see that all the way through the book of Acts? He always goes to the synagogue. Why? Because the Jewish people have the word of God. And he wants to take that word and show them that all of their promises, all of their promises that God has made them, all of their promises are found fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That if they're reading their scriptures correctly, they should anticipate and expect that their Messiah, the one who was going to bring in God's kingdom, the the, the kingdom they were expecting and wanting, that Jesus, this Christ, they should have expected him to come and suffer and die and rise from the dead. That's what they should have expected if they were reading their scriptures correctly. But they missed it, didn't they? This is why Peter in Acts chapter 2 tells them what they missed. This is the theme all the way throughout the book of Acts. This preaching of the kingdom established in the name of Jesus. The messianic age has been initiated in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul's message to them is the same here. But he can't go to the synagogue this time, right? Why can't he go to the synagogue? Because he's in chains. He doesn't get to go where he wants. And so, he invites the Jewish leaders to come to him. And they want to hear him, it looks like. They want to know what he has to say. Look at it there. They said to him, verse 21, they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers coming here is reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to know that every, or we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. We want to hear what you have to say. This is interesting to us. So when they had appointed a day, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers from morning, look at this, from morning till evening, he expounded to them from morning to evening. This was an all day sermon. 
And what did he expound to them? He had preached this sermon hundreds of times, hadn't he? He expounded to them, testifying to what? The kingdom of God. And trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Again, from the Old Testament. What was their response? Some were convinced by what he said. But others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And, and this, is the, this is the sad scene here. So Paul preaches the gospel, the good news, the message of the kingdom established in the name of Jesus and in his cross work and in his resurrection. This is how the kingdom has come. And some were convinced by what Paul said because he's using the scriptures just like the Bereans had been convinced. But others disbelieved. They didn't believe what Paul had said. And so all of them departed after Paul said this one thing. Look at what he says. The Holy Spirit was right. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. You know what that word means, dull? It's grown fat. It's grown thick. It's not able to be penetrated. It's not pliable. It's hard. Their heart has grown dull, thick, and fat. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. They willfully closed their eyes. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. This scene is sad because these are the Jewish people. And this, this moment is indicative. This moment is representative of the entire book of Acts, isn't it? Over and over and over and over and over again, the gospel has been proclaimed. And some have believed... But many, many of the Jewish people have disbelieved. They've not listened. And because they have not listened, they will not be God's people. Maybe you caught this, but Isaiah, Isaiah 6 is the passage being quoted here. Isaiah 6. You remember that passage, Isaiah 6. This is where Isaiah sees, has a vision of the holy, holy, holy God whose train fills the temple. This is Isaiah 6, and Isaiah is commissioned by God to go to the people of Israel. And he's commanded to preach to them the truth. And he's told there in Isaiah... God tells Isaiah that he will preach the truth, but that his preaching will actually condemn the people because they won't, they won't listen. His preaching to them will be their judgment. Isaiah is told to go preach to, to dull the hearts of the people. Here, 
Paul quotes this to say that this is indeed what has happened. Paul's not the only one that quotes it. In fact, this passage, Isaiah 6, is found in every gospel. Matthew 13, Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8, John chapter 12. This passage is quoted by Jesus in application to the people of Israel. He says, this is exactly what Isaiah has said. And Paul has done the same thing. This is exactly what Isaiah has said. You won't listen. And now look at verse 28. He says, therefore, therefore, because you won't listen, because of the state of affairs, you won't listen to the gospel being preached. You won't listen. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Why? They will listen. This salvation of God. Earlier, earlier when he's explaining to the Jewish leaders there in Rome, earlier he tells them that he is in chains. Look at it, verse 20. He says, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. It is the hope of Israel. Israel's hope. What was Israel's hope? Israel's hope was in the messianic figure, the messianic age, the king that God had anointed who would come and bring the kingdom. This was pictured as resurrection. This resurrection of the people. This was their hope. The restoration of Israel. Isn't this exactly what the apostles asked in Acts chapter 1? When Jesus was talking to them and they said to him then, is is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus says, it's not for you to know when. It's not for you to know the seasons, but you will go and proclaim the gospel. When the spirit comes upon you, you will proclaim the gospel. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what you're to do. So the hope of Israel was the restoration of Israel under the leadership of the messianic figure, the king. This was pictured as resurrection, restoration. And Paul says, it is for the hope of Israel. It is for that resurrection. It is for that restoration that I am in chains. You see what Paul's saying there? This has really been the point of the last several chapters. All of this trial narrative, the trial narrative starting in chapter 21 all the way through this chapter. Paul is on trial for what? Do you remember? Paul is on trial for what? The resurrection of Jesus. That's what he's on trial for. He's saying that resurrection is the hope of Israel. In that resurrection, the salvation of God's people has been accomplished. Their restoration has been accomplished. It has been secured. It has been initiated in the resurrection of Jesus. That is what he's on trial for. That is why he's in chains. And now he says to the people of Israel, this salvation of God has gone to the Gentiles. Why? Because they will listen. God's people are those who listen to God's word. God's word is the word of Christ, the word regarding Christ. Sometimes we can separate the word of God from the word regarding Christ, like if, as if there's two different messages, 
Did you know that the point of the Bible, the point, the message of Scripture is Jesus Christ? That, that is what Scripture is about. It, it's not trying to teach you how to live a righteous and godly life apart from Jesus. That doesn't work, by the way. You, you can't live out the law apart from Jesus. Oh, but we try, don't we? The Word of God is about Jesus Christ. And what, what the book of Acts is teaching us is that the people of God are defined no longer by circumcision, no longer by the temple. That's what, that was the point of, of Stephen's sermon back in chapter 6 and 7, right? He says, you, you, you're idolizing this temple, but I'm telling you what, the worship of God is going to happen all over the globe. The temple is not going to contain the worship of God. The temple, one little temple made by hands is not going to contain the worship of God. No, no, God's glory is too immense for that. God's glory and his worship is going to spread all over the globe. Right? That's what, the, well, that's what he's saying. So the book of Acts is saying... God's people are no longer defined by circumcision or the temple or the laws of Moses. No, it's greater than that. God's people, God's people are defined as those who listen to the word of Christ. As we read in Romans chapter 10. And by the way, that brings this subject up. Maybe you read that and you go, well, then what about Israel? Well, then what about Israel? I mean, Israel has all the promises. Yes, they do. And you know what's staggering about that? Israel has all the promises, and you and I have been brought into those promises. Do you understand that? You and I, who were not God's people, have been made God's people. And you say, well, then what about Israel? Isn't there a place for Israel? This is what precipitates Romans 1 through 8. This is what precipitates the conversation Paul has in chapter 9 through 11 of Romans. And Paul's answer is, Israel still has an opportunity. But only through Jesus Christ. They must come to Jesus by faith. They must hear and listen to the word of Christ. We sang earlier, as a congregation, we sang that song, Speak, O Lord. And I think what Jeremy said was absolutely right. We want to approach that as a prayer. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. And, and, And it's a prayer. God, do in my heart and with these ears, all these ears that have earwax in them that build up, these eyes that are so willfully closed, this heart that gets hard and fat and thick, God, do a work in me by your spirit that would allow me to see and would allow me to hear and allow my heart to be changed. Is that your prayer? As you come even to the congregation this morning, is that your prayer? What is it that you're wanting as you come to the service? As you come to the gathering, I find that the problem, the problem is not with the word. The problem is not with the word. The problem is with us. You say, well, I, I just find the Bible boring. 
because the Bible doesn't really meet my daily needs. It doesn't really speak to me on my level. It doesn't really, it, it doesn't really have any practical advice. People turn to all kinds of things for their advice on how to live. I want you to understand the problem is not with the Bible. The problem is with you and your understanding, your eyes and your ears and your heart. That's where the issue is. You say, what do I do about that? Well, it starts with prayer. It starts with pleading with God to open up your ears and open up your eyes and open up your heart to receive what he has said. Oh, I, I, I read this passage, Acts chapter 28, and I see the response of the people, and I pray for you that your response is not the same. Are you always learning, but never changing? Man, people listen to so many podcasts and sermons. People have so many books on their shelves. Are you always learning, but never changing, never transforming? Are you always gaining knowledge, but never gaining wisdom? Some might say, well, I, you know, I, I just need something else. I'm too smart for this. I've heard that so many times. I need something to challenge my intellect. No, your, your heart is fat and thick and hard. That's actually what's going on. You're not too smart for the Bible. You're not too intelligent for the Bible. Your heart is fat and thick and hard. That's, that's the problem. We, we need humility. What's, what's the difference between hearing and listening? You, you know, if you're a parent, you know the difference. If you're a parent, you know the difference between hearing and listening, right? How many times have you called or given instructions? If you're a wife, you know the difference between hearing and listening because you have talked to your husband. Have you ever had that experience? You're talking to your husband and, and sharing with him maybe something going on with one of the kids or maybe something about your day or maybe a decision that needs to be made. And he's glued to something, probably a screen or a phone, or maybe he's off in his own world somewhere, and you're explaining something to him, and he's like, "Uh uh-huh, 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 but he's not actually listening. It's comical, but it's, it's, it's sad, isn't it? This is our nature. This is what we do. What's the difference between hearing and listening? It's one thing to know the facts. It's one thing to hear the sentences. It's one thing to know propositional truth. But listening is an embracing of that truth and a living in that truth. As if, and this is why the Bible gives these examples, as if it is more important to us than food itself as if it's more valuable to us than gold or wealth. Do you have a taste? Do you have a hunger for what God has said? I had grown up all my life hearing the gospel, knowing that Jesus died for my sins. 
And, and many of you have this testimony. You grew up, you heard about the gospel, you heard about Jesus dying for your sins, you heard about the resurrection, and, and you prayed a prayer several times, maybe throughout your life. But I remember when I was 20 years old, and I heard the gospel message, and for the first time, and this, I'm giving you the, the difference between hearing and listening, I had heard it all my life, but I remember the first time at 20 years old, I realized it wasn't just sin generically that had been placed upon Jesus, it was my sin. I, for the first time, realized my guilt before God. And the great debt of sin that I, I had committed against God. And I realized that there was no way I could pay that debt. There was nothing that I could do to clear myself of that sin. Nothing. I realized it was my sin. Oh, and immediately I, I, I realized the danger that I was in. And the wrath of God that, that was against me and that I deserved I wasn't trying to justify myself in the sight of God. I was guilty and I knew it. And then it was the reality it was of Christ was so brilliantly clear to me. Christ took my sin upon himself and he died my death for me and he rose and he, he defeated my death and got victory over the grave for me. When I realized that, my eyes were opened. See, I, I, for the first time, listened. And it wasn't my work, it was God's work in me that did that. His work by His Spirit that accomplished that work in my life. You see, it's God's work, it's God's Spirit. The book of Acts is about the work of the Spirit. God's Spirit opening the eyes of the blind. God's Spirit quickening the ears of the deaf. God's Spirit softening the hearts of the wicked. This is God's work. Have you heard the gospel but never listened? What a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to be called the people of God, isn't it? What a privilege it is to be God's people who are not God's people, who, who don't deserve to be God's people, and yet we are God's people today. What a privilege and what a responsibility. What a responsibility we have. As I said at the beginning, God's people, God cares deeply about marking off who his people are. God's people are marked by his spirit. God's people are marked by the right response to his word. But this is important. God's, God cares a lot about marking off who his people are because that's where his glory is seen. His glory is seen in the midst of his people. This is why churches are so important. Starting churches, planting churches, growing churches. Why? Because this is where the world can see God's glory. He lives in the midst of his people. Do you see the responsibility that we have? God's glory dwells here. We cannot treat that lightly. We cannot persist in, in our we cannot persist in our rebellion and in our sin as God's people. And this brings me to the 
The last sub-point here, what a challenge it is to all of us as God's people to continue listening to God's word. Are you sensitive to God's word this morning? Are you sensitive to what God has said? Are you listening? I've spent way too long on this point. God's people are those who listen to God's word. Point number two, again, summarizing the book of Acts. And this is really 2A. 2A, there's going to be a 2B, so 2A. Point number two, the mission of the church is the message of the kingdom. The mission of the church is the message of the kingdom. We've already hit on this. But I, I hope in the book of Acts, you, you, you've seen this clearly. What is the church to be about? The church is to be about the preaching of the gospel. The message of God's kingdom. Now maybe when I use the term kingdom, you kind of, what, is, what are you talking about? This, this has been the theme of the book of Acts, even though we haven't seen the word kingdom very often. This is actually what bookends the, the entire work. If you look at it, Acts chapter 28, right? He says there, he expounded day from evening till, till, or from morning till evening. He expounded the kingdom of God. And then it, in verse 30 and 31, it says he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. But if you look at the very beginning of Acts, this, this is what bookends the book. The fancy literary term for this is inclusio. Inclusio is just a fancy term for bookends. And the bookends tell you a lot about what the, the book is actually about. It's a wonderful framing here. Look at Acts chapter 1. Can you turn to Acts chapter 1? Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus is with his disciples here at the beginning of the book of Acts. And he spends 40 days with them. It says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. This is what Jesus was talking to them about. The kingdom of God. And it is what Paul is continuing to preach and teach. The kingdom of God. It's not just the inclusio for the book of Acts, but it's also the inclusio for the whole work of Luke and Acts. Look at, at Luke chapter 1. You know Luke wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote the book of Luke. These are two volumes, really one work, but two volumes, Luke and Acts. Look, look back at chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. Go all the way back to Luke chapter 1. And this is when the angel Gabriel is speaking to Mary. I, I, I wish I could read all of this to you, but just, just look down at verse 31. Verse 31, Luke chapter 1, verse 31. The angel says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Look at verse 32. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high, the son king. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
Gabriel's message to Mary was that the king had come, the messianic figure had come. And his father, God, would give him the throne of David. And his kingdom would be forever. This is the message that frames the entire mission and ministry of Jesus and of his apostles. So, this is logic. If this is what framed the entire mission and ministry of Jesus and his apostles, why would we think we're to do something else? Why would we think that our mission looks different than theirs? Our mission is to preach the good news of God's kingdom established in the name of His Son, King. This kingdom has been established in the cross work of His King, of His appointed, anointed King. And in His resurrection, this is our message. And this is our mission. This is the message that everyone in the world needs to hear. Now, there are a lot of good things to do as a church. There are a lot of good things to do. A lot of good things that I'm not opposed to doing, by the way. We want to start a soup kitchen. We want to start a pantry, food pantry. We want to get involved in political movements and things like that. I'm not necessarily opposed to Christians being involved in those things, right? These are all good things. Good things. I would even say things that Christians ought to be doing. As long as we remember what our mission is. Our mission is to preach the gospel. Do you want to return to the early church? I I get this with the book of Acts all the time. People read the book of Acts. I wish we could just go back to the early church. And what do they mean by that? They don't mean the persecution part. Uh, they, 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 don't, they don't mean the hard work part, right? When, they, when they're talking about, I, want to, I just want to get back to the early church. What they're talking about is Acts 2.42 and a couple other passages where it talks about their unity and their community together. And I say, amen, let's get back to that community. Let's get back to living that way. Do, do you have any impression after going through the entire book of Acts that Acts 2.42 is the main point of the book of Acts? It is how the Christian community ought to live because God's presence and God's glory lives in their midst. Yes. But you want to get back to the early church? Absolutely, let's do that. How do we do that? We go out proclaiming the gospel. That's how we do it. That's what the early church was about. I I meet so many people. I want to get back to that community. Let's get back to that community. But they don't evangelize. That makes no sense in in my mind. I love this Martin Luther quote. This is Martin Luther. This is not Paul Funches, okay? Martin Luther was known to be crass every once in a while. But I love this. I passed this by my family just to make sure it wasn't too bad. But Martin Luther said this, and I agree with this sentiment wholeheartedly. He said, Christians are like manure. When, when you heap them up, they really begin stinking, But when you spread them out, they begin to do a lot of good. Again, I agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly. 
too often our focus is on building our kingdom, cloistering. Man, there are a lot of great things we could do as a church, right? If, if, if we just focused on that. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of good things. By the way, I'm not against having a big church. Some people think I'm against big churches. I'm not against big churches. Big churches are great. They have a lot more resources. They can do a lot of great things. As long as the mission remains the same. As long as evangelism and reaching the world with the gospel of the kingdom is still their aim. But we're not called to cloister up and protect ourselves from that big bad world out there. No, we're called to go. We're called to go. And this leads to point 2B. There's point 2A, there's point 2B, and you've seen this, and this is, we've, we've said this over and over and over again because it's what the book of Acts shows us. This message, this message of the gospel will constantly be opposed. It will constantly be threatened, but it will never be defeated. It will never be silenced. This is what we saw last week, 2 Timothy 2. We, we, didn't, we didn't plan it. Dan and I, when we got together and talked about what passage, I didn't necessarily think about how it fit with this passage, but it fits perfectly. Second Timothy 2, what we heard last week, I preached at faith and Dan was here preaching. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. That's what he says. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm bound in chains, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God will prevail. It will never be silenced. This is how the book ends, right? Acts chapter 28. Paul is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. Oh, we've heard about that over and over again in the book of Acts. With all boldness. Boldness in the face of opposition. And without hindrance. Without hindrance? What do you mean? He's chained up. What do you mean without hindrance? What a perspective, isn't it? The gospel will go wherever God decides for it to go. He will send his people in directions they never planned. Did you know that? Has your life worked out the way you planned it? Anybody? Anybody? That one guy's like, perfectly? No. Nobody's life works the way they thought it would. Nobody's life is, is laid out the way they planned it. Do you see the futility of that? Well, I'm not saying don't have a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. That's a, that's a good thing to do. You want to have the structure. But, but it never works out that way, okay? God's people go where God takes them. And he takes them many times where they're not planning on going. Why? Because he is taking his gospel where God's people go, his gospel goes. And here we see Paul in chains. And look, he's proclaiming the gospel without hindrance. I think of that soldier who was chained to Paul. Do you think he came to Christ? I think he did. Either that or he was the most miserable of people. Because he heard the gospel every single day, probably multiple times a day. He could probably, he said, hey, Paul, I got this one. You know, people are coming in. And he says, hey, I'll, you take a rest. You've been talking all day. I'll, I'll give it for you because I know it as well as you do now. 
without hindrance, he's given the gospel. Could that be said of our lives? The mission of the church is the message of the kingdom. This message will constantly be threatened. It will constantly oppose, but it will never be stopped. It will never be defeated. It will never be silenced. And that is why as a church, this is, again, big picture, as a church, we, we must remain committed to the preaching and teaching of the word, the word of Christ. That is what we're here to do. This involves raising up other men to preach and teach, other, other people to preach and teach. We also must be about the sending of missionaries as we can be. As we are allowed, as we are provided for in God's good sovereignty and providence, we must be committed to sending missionaries. By the way, I I want you to know we have two, right now, two candidates that we are considering that at some point we'll bring before you. And our goal is by September to have at least one of those two and possibly both of them presented to you to support. That's exciting. And we want that to be the beginning of sending others. We also, as a church, want to be committed to the planting of other churches. Do you realize Trinity Church is not the end game? Let me say that again. Trinity Church is not the end game. This is not the end result, right? This is, this is just a foothold to go farther. That's the point. We want to plant other churches locally. Even, even next week, I had somebody contact me this week. They're planning a church in the valley and they need a place to meet on a Sunday. They don't have a, a space for one week. And they said, hey, Paul, can we use your space for a week? No, are you serious? You're planting a valley? That's our turf. That's our territory. You can't plant in a valley? No, obviously I said, Absolutely. Absolutely. You're preaching the gospel. Let's promote that. Let's encourage that. Let's go. Let's help each other do that. We want to do that locally. We want to do that regionally. That's why we give money to the INC, the Inland Northwest Cooperative. Right now, we, did you know you have given 1% of our budget this, this year to that cause to plant churches regionally? And there's a church right now being planted in, in next spring. So spring of 2024. It's going to be planted on the South Hill. And right now they're gathering their core team. And your monies have gone to that. To help with that. Regionally, nationally, and globally, we want to see churches planted. We also want to see our church have evangelism as a culture. We want evangelism to be our culture. And I have, been, I have been so encouraged, by the way, as I've heard people and their interactions, the ladies who meet on Wednesday morning at the park, there's a group of ladies that meet, and you're invited to that, any of the ladies are invited to that, they meet at the park, at their park days, and they have conversations. At, at the beginning, last year, whenever they started, there weren't as many conversations, but there have been more and more conversations that have happened. People in their neighborhoods, people in their family members, as I've talked to many of you, just so encouraged by the intentional evangelism that I've heard going on. And we want more and more of that. We also want to be a people that trust in God's power, in his spirit. Again, the book of Acts has been the story of God's spirit doing God's work, doing the work of Jesus. 
We want to believe and continue to believe that God can do his work. He's, he's still calling people to himself. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is still calling people, transforming people's life, taking them from serving idols to serving the living God? Is he still doing that work? He is. I love how the book ends. I love how the book ends, right? And he continued proclaiming with all boldness and without hindrance, the end. Do you see how this leaves a dot, dot, dot there? Because, because the point is that the gospel is continuing to go forward. It had done just as Jesus promised. It was taught or preached in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria. It had been preached to the Gentiles. The Gentiles received it. Acts 15, it's decided the Gentiles are becoming the people of God without circumcision. Paul is taken across the globe and he arrives in Rome, the uttermost parts of the earth. And then it continues. So, so you and I are actually living out the book of Acts. We're continuing it. We're part of this. We believe God can do his work in the lives of those who listen to the word of God preached. And then this brings me to the third point, and then we're done. Third point. So God's people are those who respond rightly. Those, those who listen to God's word are his people. The mission of the church is the message, that message of the kingdom. That message will be constantly opposed, but never defeated. And this is the last point. That message, the message of the gospel, is more important than your life. The gospel message is more important than your life. I think it's important how the book ends. If this was a story about Paul, then it's a terrible story. It ends very poorly. Because it doesn't tell you anything about what happens to him. Well, what, what happens when he goes before Caesar? And then, well, what happens after that? He doesn't fill any of those details because that's not the point. He does the same thing with Peter, by the way. The last time we really see Peter is Acts chapter 12. We see him again briefly in Acts chapter 15. But Acts chapter 12, remember he's imprisoned by Herod and then he's released. And then Peter goes on to have 25 years of ministry without any mention. We rely upon church tradition to hear what happens to Peter and to Paul. These two guys, Peter and Paul, are the ones that frame out, right? The outline of the book. Peter's ministry, Paul's ministry. But he doesn't wrap up and tell us how their story's in. You know why? Because the story's not about them. The story's not about them. It's not about Peter and Paul. The message of the gospel is more important than their lives and their ministries. This story is not about Peter or Paul. It's not about their story. And your life is not about your story either. I'm very burdened by the preaching in many churches that want to focus on your story. Can I tell you there is no hope in your story? If you are focused on your story, you're missing it. And that's why you feel miserable a lot of times and aimless. 
because you're trying to make the whole point of your life about this, this 60, 70, 80 years that you've been given. The gospel, the message of God's kingdom, God's kingdom established in the name of his son, King, that's the point, not your life. You've heard that analogy before, that God, he is, he is the point of the play, not you. So I just end by asking you this, as we wrap up the book of Acts, as we see this story continuing, what are you living your life for? Are you seeking the glory of today? Are you seeking in material things or accomplishments or successes? Are you seeking that which is today and gone tomorrow? It's possible that you're here today living for those things that will not last. You see, your story will end. Go, go to the cemeteries and look. Your story will end. And in fact, no one will remember your story. Can you tell me about your great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather? Maybe you can tell me some facts about them. You don't know who they are. You don't know anything about their life. That's you. Your great-great-grandchildren will have no idea who you were. They'll have no idea about your life. Are you living for today only? Your story will end the story of God's kingdom established in his son king, Jesus. That story will go on forever. And that's the point. It's not about your life. It's not about the apostle Paul or Peter. It's about the kingdom of God established in the name of his son king and the work, the cross work and the resurrection of his son king. His glory that will last forever Are you living for your glory today? Are you living for your eulogy? Maybe you're living for that legacy. Maybe you're hoping that you live a life that they can stand around at your funeral and talk about how good of a guy you were. Maybe they'll talk about how how honest you were and how much integrity you had. And maybe, maybe they'll talk about the gospel work that you did. I still don't think that's enough. Don't live for your funeral, okay? Live for eternity, Live for the glory that lasts forever. The eternity and the glory of God in his son. That's what our life is for. That's what our life should be for. What a privilege it is to be his people. What a privilege it is to carry with us this all important message. Let us walk forward as his people faithful. As we heard last week in 2 Timothy, if we die with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. You know what that's calling us to? It's calling us to faithfulness. It's not giving us assurance in our faithlessness. No, it's calling us to faithfulness. Be faithful in this calling that we've been given as his people with his gospel until we see his face. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the book of Acts. What a wonderful 
word it is. I pray that by this word, you would change us, change our affections, change our motivations, change what we think and believe, what motivates us, change what gets us up in the morning and gives us hope for the day. Change what gives us endurance and what we look to to give us our hope and endurance throughout the days. I pray that you would fill us with this view of you, this glorious view of you, and this desire to see the good news of your kingdom proclaimed. I pray for the VBS efforts. I pray that you would bring young people and their moms and dads to interact with your people. I pray that you'd use our neighborhood interactions and work interactions and all the different places and areas we go in our life to further your glory in the gospel. I pray that you would bless this gathering of your people, that it would indeed be a place where your glory is seen a place where missionaries go and preachers are raised up and women are taught the Bible to be able to teach others also. I pray that you would be glorified here in this church, in our midst. We pray in your name, amen.